0: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. There may not be a a ton of competition for this title, but one of the absolute best rock albums of the year has already dropped. It's called The Record. It's by the supergroup Boy Genius. That group is, of course, three great singer-songwriters of the same generation, Julian Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, and Lucy Dacus. The news of this album And the reunion of this group, because they first formed in 2018 and released an EP back then, the news of that was broken in a really great Rolling Stone cover story earlier this year by Angie Martosio. And we have Angie with us today. Hey, Angie. Hey, how are you? So I would start by, I'll let everyone hear a little bit of this song, Not Strong Enough, from this album. And it's kind of this chanting mantra in the middle. I guess I wanted to start there because one of the things that's exciting about this album, and there's a lot to talk about, is the extent to which they're kind of going for it. it it's not the case for every song, certainly, but there's a bunch of songs where it's actually arena rock. They're making this big rock, and that, that is something that I think people from a sort of indie world... This is actually, their interestingly, their major label debut. Individually, they've all been on indie labels, and they kind of made a major label rock album, a big rock album, the kind that everyone's kind of afraid to make. That's a point that I haven't seen people make that much about this album.
1: Yeah, this is a lot of Julian Baker, I'll say, who is certainly like the metal head of the group. She has always wanted to bring heavy riffs into their music, and she was super excited to do that. You hear that on 20 bucks. (laughs)
0: satanist. Satanist
1: And even a little bit of Not Strong Enough. She was so excited to have like huge, big feelings arena rock style.
0: Satanist is the great 90s rock radio song that never existed. It, It could have been slotted right in. A great little riff. It's like the Breeders or something. And I think, yes, it's her contributions that help raise this beyond just three indie singer-songwriters doing a bunch of great songs together. It has a bit of heft to it, and it makes it exciting. And as a whole, it's just they work as a group. I think there is some debate about what they add to it versus are they in fact greater than the sum of their parts but i think they are
1: i think they are one other note about satanist is that it's funny if you think about the lyrics and yeah. that's also very julian they're all so distinct that any boy genius fan or even any fans of like their individual work can immediately tell who is who wrote what on every song it's very obvious they're so distinct that it's really it's easy to tell which one
0: and to clarify for anyone who's confused they're A band in the exact sense of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, not in the sense of Nirvana. Live, they all play guitar, and then they have extra musicians being the rhythm section. Like, no one's on bass or anything even, right? No,
1: and this is a can of worms for the band, too, where, like, they, you would think they'd be tired of being asked about Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but they're actually very open to discussing it, and they have changed their minds a little bit over the years as to who is who. I think this time around, for this album cycle, they've officially decided that, like, they're all Neil Young, which is a very nice compromise, I think.
0: (laughs) Hadn't thought to break it down that way. Musically, as you said, I think Julian is the Neil Young as far as the bringing the hard rock into it, but... but Phoebe's the most famous, so she's the Neil Young. Lucy is arguably the best lyricist, so she's Neil Young, so I get it, actually.
1: I know. And then personality-wise, it's like Julian is clearly like a Graham Nash type, and Lucy is very stills, and Phoebe can be like her enemy, David Crosby,
0: so who knows? They're relationship with this sort of classic rock tradition and the relationship with the many male artists they actually love is very complicated. They're influenced by a lot of male artists, but also seem to hate that they're influenced by male artists, which I get.
1: Yeah, it's where I really got to nerd out the most with them. Lucy Dacus is a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, and she was very reluctant the first half of her life to admit this because her dad was such a crazy fan and she was like, this is not for me. And then only recently she started to really open up to that idea and she's obsessed with him now. She just saw her first concert with him a couple weeks ago.
0: I think she and I talked about that a little bit when she was on the pod. Maybe I'll play a little bit of that. I know like Springsteen fans are going to all want like deep cuts. But I mean, Jungle Land is a masterpiece of songwriting. Atlantic City, masterpiece. I really like the song Long Walk Home, which is a later tune. And that's one that my dad used to play on guitar. I feel like people get dragged for loving Nebraska, but it's just good. My like number 1 life priority is to go see Bruce with my dad. I've never seen him and that's like it's very crucial that we do that together. <laughs> At the same time, yeah, there is that sort of resentment of the influence. That conflict comes in on the song Leonard Cohen which has a fun verse from Lucy where she says At a Buddhist monastery Writing horny poetry But I agree There's a crack in everything That's how the light gets in And I am not an old man Having an existential crisis At a Buddhist monastery Writing horny poetry But I agree Very funny And I'll get to that in a second But it's also crazy Because Leonard Cohen's anthem From 1992 Is now like the hottest song in America I can't run the on- that crowd. Because Lana <laughs> Del Rey also bases a whole song around that same song in an album that came out last week in the song Kintsugi, which we actually talked about on the podcast last week. And I might delve into Anthem more later because super interesting, super great song. I am going to go ahead and in a perhaps mansplaining way, fact check this song Leonard Cohen, because number one, Leonard Cohen was only about 48 when he wrote this song, which I understand for Lucy Dacus might seem like an old man, but I would dare say that is a middle-aged man. Just over middle-aged, but old seems pushing it. I Okay, I guess for Lucy that maybe that seems like an old man. Let that one slide. But at a Buddhist monastery writing horny poetry, I'll give her the horny poetry. Although doesn't that really describe all song lyrics by everyone, basically? But at a Buddhist monastery. He wasn't at a Buddhist monastery in 1992. He had never been to a Buddhist monastery in 1992 when he wrote the song. That was later. But I think we'll allow it just for humor's sake. It's boy genius, not boy fact checkers. We'll let it slide. I think. Also,
1: you have to remember that to them, 1992 is like the Stone Age. (laughs) At least Lana was alive in 1992. I just made the cut for what it's worth, but um, boy genius did not.
0: Yes. Fair enough. But facts are facts. It's all good. It's funny. It's worth it. It's worth it for the joke. But actually, we should get to the band name itself is actually plays into all these issues. It's playing at the idea of a boy genius, an unassailable male artist who's always been told that everything they do is perfect and thus has the the sort of unexamined courage to do whatever they want. They, they want to borrow some of that feeling. That's the idea, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 80% like sarcastic, pointing fun at guys. But it's also like a genuine wanting to just be accepted and to not have it be pointed out that there are three women in a band. That's all they really want is to be treated like everyone else. I pointed this out in my story. It's like you've never heard anyone refer to the Traveling Wilburys as the all-male supergroup, the Traveling Wilburys. It's just not how we talk. They're obviously making fun of it, but it's it comes from also from a genuine place of we just want to be treated like everyone else.
0: I think that's true. I think it's also funny in the sense that presupposes that there's literally any male supergroups right now, or (laughs) even any rock bands that anyone's talking about, or that there even could be a supergroup of dudes right now, because if you're talking about rock, I couldn't, I was actually thinking about this, you couldn't assemble a boy genius out of male songwriters their age. You would have to struggle. People who were Indie and cool, but famous enough to be in a supergroup. Who? <laughs> like, how would that work?
1: Like, it would be rough. It would be like Alex G and like Sufjan Stevens and I don't know Father John Misty. It's not an easy task.
0: <laughs> yeah, all I ha- all I really had was Father John Misty, but Father John Misty and Sufjan are way too old to be in that category. <laughs> yes. They would uh, li- by Lucy Dacus standards, they are o- they are old men. It shows how much actually that they think in terms of history and Pantheon without even thinking about it because again it treated like everyone else who there is no one else but i know what they mean historically it's funny yeah and
1: that's that's also what you mentioned just now is they make fun of it but they also really fucking love it they love that history they love discussing classic rock they love the beatles etc
0: i think most people know obviously who these people are but maybe you can break down a mini biography and also what you think their sort of different strengths are and what they bring to the group. Maybe also talk about your experience interviewing each of them as well. Let's start with Lucy Dacus.
1: Lucy Dacus is certainly the brain of the group. She's the literary genius, I like to say. She is from Richmond, Virginia. She was adopted. She has been on Matador, and she released her debut album, No Burden, in 2016. And she... It's. I'm sorry to say, I think it's no contest that she's, to me, the strongest songwriter in the group.
0: It's close, but I, I think out of all the solo albums released by all of them, probably Home Video is the strongest, which is her 2021 album that we talked to her on, on this pod about.
1: And can you imagine if Home Video had Night Shift on it? which is from Mm. her previous album, Historian.
0: But yeah, sorry, you were saying that you think she's the strongest songwriter of the group.
1: I think Home Video is a great example. It was her album that she released in 2021. And it really, track by track, there's no skips at all. And it's mostly because she is such a personal writer. She's not really writing about things she observed. She's writing about her own life. Home video is literally her discussing growing up in Richmond, going through those rough years as a teenager, falling in love, discovering music, all the basic topics. She's writing really about her past and her upbringing, and it's dead on and it's very personal and it's the most vulnerable she's ever sounded. You
0: hung out both with the three of them together, and then individually, what did you take away from that, especially seeing her interact with the other two members?
1: You have to keep in mind that the only member I've spoken to before the cover story was Phoebe. I had done a secondary 10-minute phoner with Lucy for my Mitski cover story, but it was my first time getting to observe all of them together. Lucy is such a, (laughs) she really reads not just books, but she reads press about herself. When I hung out with her, the first thing she did was thank me for my album review of home video and said it was her favorite thing that anyone's ever written about her Um, that's great she's very observant she i mentioned this in my story too she's like a journalist in a way she was overly concerned about my audio quality when we were (laughs) at the beach or in a restaurant she was very specific on what was on and off the record she cares a lot about the band and everything that's been written about her and you can tell this wasn't just any interview for her. I don't know. She's just so cool. She's super intense and never says anything too lightly and is also simultaneously extremely fun to be around and loves to like fish. And (laughs) she loves sushi and she just, she loves reality TV. She's watched all of Survivor. We talked about that a little bit. And yet she'll also read like War and Peace.
0: And Julian Baker is... I think she's the only one I haven't interviewed. probably was the last one that I got into, but she is really good. I think probably my favorite album of hers is her 2017 one, Turn Out the Lights, although her most recent one, Little Oblivion's, is really good. And she does, vocally, she really is the powerhouse. She really can sing.
1: Oh, she is the greatest. And she's also like the best kept secret in indie rock. Once you discover Julian Baker, it's eye-opening to how much you didn't want to know, like why you didn't know about her before turn out the lights was when I really discovered her. She has an insane voice. Let's just put it that way. She's very metal influenced. She grew up. It's important to note that both Julian and Lucy grew up in the South in very Christian households.
0: And all three of the members identify as queer in one way or another. And so that Growing up in a Christian household obviously adds uh, an additional complication there.
1: Very difficult years, and Julian grew up in Memphis. She was very straight edge for a time. She was into hardcore bands that we did bond over. Like we were talking about, like Underoath and Circa Survive, and (laughs) groups that I, when I was like 15, I was obsessed with. Also, so we really bonded over that. She's really like the darkest one, and which is something to say because you have to keep in mind that Phoebe's imagery is very ghost, dark darkness death skulls but julian has lived that kind of life she's really gone through some shit she has been sober for a number of years she struggled with substance abuse like you said growing up gay in the south she's just been through a lot and you can tell that in all of her songs because she's just an open book and she also is like such a great person to be around she's overly nice she's so formal and polite and she can also just like bro down with you and talk i Kindly disagree with you. I think that Little Oblivions is her best work yet and that's not just because it's the most recent one I think the song Hardline is my absolute favorite It opens up Little Oblivions, and it's just like a really searing, riff-heavy, thrashing rock song. And she's really introducing herself and starting the record off on that kind of foot. (laughs) There's obviously so many highlights. I love the song Favor. which also has The Boys on it, which is important to note. They each take turns singing on each other's solo albums. I love Relative Fiction. And then Faith Healer.
0: It
1: It doesn't go as loud as Hardline. But it's a really gorgeous, meditative song. It's almost painful to hear her because you feel her pain when you hear her voice.
0: Again, someone that we've talked to on this show and someone who has the biggest mainstream profile of anyone in the group. And it just keeps getting bigger for her. Basically the same week that this album came out, she gave this really heartfelt speech for Taylor Swift who was winning the Artist of the Millennium Award or whatever at the the iHeart Radio Music Awards and around the same time that this album came out. And you could really feel her kind of stepping up to get another level of fame with that. Phoebe, I think most people know all about her. I think she has the very close runner-up for best solo record, if not tied with Lucy with Punisher. Obviously a great album with a lot of highlights. From that again we've talked about from Kyoto.
1: Kyoto, to, Kyoto the temple, the
0: to I know they end where in Germany, but I can't place it. Man, I hate this part of Texas close to Graceland too. She could do anything she wants to. She could do it just spectacular songwriting and one of the best sort of pandemic era albums, definitely, and somehow fit that whole kind of stay-at-home era, even as she became the queen of stay-at-home Zoom interviews. Her
1: 2017 debut, Stranger in the Alps, and there's so many great songs on there besides the most famous, which is Motion Sickness. But even when Funeral really, when that album came out, John Mayer famously tweeted out Funeral and wrote, this is the arrival of a giant. And Phoebe appreciated it. She can really do a great imitation of him in person saying that. But I think that really signaled like how huge she was going to become in the pandemic.
0: And she has the, her other band is her other supergroup was a duo with Connor Oberst on Better Oblivion Community Center. And that seems to have been a complicated relationship. She talked a little bit about that. And she seems to sing about it often, although she won't admit to it. But yeah, Phoebe, she's an incredibly confident person. She's a complicated person. She loves Elliot Smith. Tell me a little bit about your experience with her.
1: To touch on the Elliott Smith thing, she's also, we talked about classic rock being a battle for the three of them. I really do think that her level of celebrity is really hard for her to grapple. She's always wanted this. She's known she's meant for this. (laughs) But at the same time, she's an Elliott Smith at heart. She's very indie, as she says, to her core. But she's got an insane amount of fandom and i think that's something she really wrestles with and is very open about how it's not easy for her she walked into the restaurant we were sitting at with a hood on and was like very nervously looking around before she took it off she's not really comfortable with it and i think that also makes her more human if anything which also i'm she's bonded about with taylor taylor is obviously the person to talk to if you're like i am having a hard time with my fame (laughs) you know
0: and Taylor's like oh oh really (laughs) oh oh you're too famous Uh, that must be really hard for you no but i mean yeah i'm sure she's super sympathetic and it's the thing What I would say about, it's interesting for for three people born in the 90s, they're all super 90s, which is weird. Because one of the things I've written about, I think, repeatedly, to an embarrassing degree of repetition, is that one of the signature things of 90s popular music is people becoming very famous who were not at all suited to be that famous. So I think personality-wise, and struggling with that. And that's, that's a story you hear again and again. And I think That's what's happening with Phoebe, right? On on some level.
1: Yeah, I don't want to spend this whole hour talking about her comparisons to men, but she very much is Kurt Cobain-like where she has this this bleached blonde hair. Kurt dyed his hair with Kool-Aid. That was raspberry, but that's different. She has very blonde hair. It's always in her face. Yeah,
0: Kurt was a natural blonde, excuse me. But yes, continue.
1: Yes, he was a natural blonde, but he also had the (laughs) strawberry Kool-Aid dye. And he never, let's put it this way, it looked like it was unwashed. And Phoebe's got this like very short, she doesn't put any care to it at all. And it looks gorgeous. And she's also kind of like, this sucks. Like, it's very hard for me to be famous. And Kurt was obviously famously not equipped and did not like any of it.
0: It's so weird. I wonder if she was in such a chill mood when I spoke to her in 2020 for the podcast. She just got to be at home and completely protected from her fame. But I think thinking out loud, what really happened is during the pandemic, she became five to 10 times more famous. So I wonder if some of this is just emerging from the semi lockdown years into a world where you're suddenly at a whole different level of fame. I wonder if that's actually what she's grappling with.
1: Oh, absolutely. We have discussed that we are both grannies who like to stay home, and that's where we are happy. I interviewed her the week before lockdown. So it was March of 2020, and... She was totally happy and to do the interview, like very polite. She's so good at talking. We should really emphasize that. She's amazing at interviews, but no, she's very quick-witted. She's so kind and warm, but she also puts things in perspective. She knows how to give a good quote. Let's just say it like
0: that. Her music knowledge, she has a little bit of that old soul thing where she was, her references are really impressive. She brought up the band Teenage Fan Club, who are a great Scottish band, power pop band. And I hadn't heard anyone say that name in 15 years. She has a very wide range of references. But yeah, she's everywhere. She's on the new SZA album, which she talked about with her. I, and I do wonder if there's something anchoring and safe for her to be in this group.
1: The way to my heart is to be like, I love On the Beach by Neil Young. And that was such a random thing for her to say when I met her, but she was saying that's her favorite shit. And she loves, she's just getting into Radiohead. She's in a huge Radiohead phase right now. And she actually really loves Bob Dylan's gospel albums, which is insane to me because she wouldn't exactly like tweet about that. But when you discuss like her influences and her appreciation for periods that are not as recognized as others by artists, she really has a fondness for
0: you mentioned that Lucy could be a journalist. Phoebe could 100% be a rock critic. Not all musicians dive deep like that. She happens to be like a super music geek, among other things. But yeah, let's back to the idea. Given all this tumultuousness in her life, and she was just complaining about in another interview about when her dad recently died, fans were in some way bothering her at the airport. She's really dealing with a lot I do feel in this tumultuous time for her, she's finding. She chose. This isn't like Michael Jackson at his peak being dragged back into the band with his brothers. No, this is her finding this sort of safety in numbers in this band, isn't it?
1: She's been counting down the months that, of this tour and that when she can. You know, this they have a huge tour ki- kicking off this summer. I should note, and they have a bunch of festivals they're playing. And she flat out told me, like. If I were doing another solo album right now, which she very well could have after the success of Punisher, she would be doing no interviews for it. She was completely fried. She is over talking about the pandemic and her upbringing and Ryan Adams. If one more person asks her about Ryan Adams, I'm amazed she doesn't snap at them because I would be over it. She's constantly having to discuss the things she's talked about and I think it, enough time has passed now that article from the Times came out in what 2019. Right. It, it's it, time has passed. And back to what I was saying, she has sought comfort from her best friends and she's said it very plainly. I get to tour with my best friends who wouldn't want to do that.
0: They do seem intent as a group in avoiding, because it is the obvious question, supergroups don't last. That is true. That is the one thing, the thing that supergroups do is break up. (laughs) There's a lot of one album supergroups, there's a few that last a few albums, but it's very rare for them to be able to go on consistently. And they seem to be intent on not falling into any of the pitfalls. And
1: I think it's important to note They didn't form as an official, we're a band now. They just wanted to make music together. The EP that they churned out in four days, which is six incredible songs. It really, they didn't realize how successful that would be and how much fun they had on the road together. And this time around, like they were all, the way they put it is that all three of them were cagey and secretive about wanting to do a full album because they didn't want to get told no. And they were playing a game of who's gonna say it first. They all could have made more soul albums this year They had or taken breaks, but they do a thing where it's like a project to them and they want to go back to it. And now they see themselves as a full-on band as opposed to just like a one-time hangout in 2018.
0: It started because they booked a tour together. And then they thought they'd just record a little something. Maybe they could play together. They just ended up recording what became that Boy Genius EP, the 2018 one.
1: Yeah, they're like, let's record a few songs for a fun EP to sell on tour. And they, as they have said famously, like they fell in love while recording that.
0: It feels like me and my dog. is their favorite song from that Boy Genius EP.
1: That song, yeah, that is to me on par with lucy dagis's night shift or phoebe's motion sickness me and my dog is came out of nowhere and it's just phoebe discussing a crush and it's about her old pug max who died a few years ago she now has maxine which we should know the difference it's an incredible song where she's just talking about having a crush and wanting it's her usual themes of spaceships and the sky and feeling more comfortable in the stars and up above rather than with humans. She's very alien like that. And the best thing about the record is that they have a sequel to it. Right. So the final song on there on the record is Letter to an Old Poet.
0: You're not
1: special.
0: which is obviously a
1: playoff letters to a young poet that phoebe just read but it's a sequel to me and my dog and so me and my dog was about a crush at this point she's grown up she's gone through a lot and on letter to an old poet she's over him but it's not just so much being over him she's saying i'm no longer walking into rooms looking for you i'm no longer just wanting to be with me and my dog it's like She's going to remember her dog now. And obviously the song is very brutal. There's a lot of harsh lines in there. And that's probably why it's one of my favorites on the album. I think anyone who just sings, When you fell down the stairs, it looked like it hurt and I wasn't sorry. That's insane. You made me feel like an equal, but I'm better than you. And you should know that by now. That is the most biting. It's so, to me, it's very much, I'm trying to think of... It reminds me of Thrasher, to be honest, but that's about, obviously, CSN, but this is about a lover. Put it this way, to to answer your question, that song is beloved to fans alike and the band, and they wanted to bring it full circle, and Phoebe wanted to complete her thought on that, and that's Letter to an Old Poet.
0: Yeah, every line is brutal. Yeah, the, you make me feel like, a, like an equal, and I'm, but I'm better than you, is like... <laughs> It's borderline over the top mean, but hey, we don't know exactly what happened. It's like idiot wind mean. Yeah, it is. It's about that mean. But my favorite, favorite line, possibly on the album, is on that song when she said, you said my music is mellow, maybe I'm just exhausted, which is genuinely so meta and hilarious.
1: Meta and hilarious. And it's also, I discuss outer space and air like spaceships and astronauts and all those things that Phoebe loves. She also loves to talk in songs about how tired she is. If you really think about that, you can Google like lyrics of hers. She's often saying, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. It's a recurring theme. It's often how she feels. And like you said earlier, she's happiest at home in her rocket ship bedsheets.
0: She told me that she thinks sadness is funny. It relates to the kind of the name of her record label. So I think maybe she also thinks it's funny to be super tired and to talk about how tired you are. It's that weird thing. There's dark humor on Revolution Zero. She has this dark and amazing bit where she goes, I don't want to die. And then she goes, that's a lie. But I'm afraid to get sick. I don't know what that is. Wish I wasn't so tired, but I'm tired. So there there that is again. But yeah, it, it's it she's funny, but it often has a super dark twist to it. Also, like Kurt, by the way.
1: Yeah. And that, that also is Phoebe's brand. Anyone who discovers her music will be like the whole jokes of the sad girl genre. And her songs can be very dark and very melancholic. And then you meet her and it's like a huge, she's got this SoCal cool vibe. She's really funny. She's very sarcastic. And that's the most interesting thing that people really fall in love with her about is that she's so different, but her songs are so gorgeous.
0: Another one of the huge Julian Baker big rock moments is in the bridge of the song Anti Curse.
1: Yeah, Anti Curse is that is almost like crack to Boy Genius fans. She lifts the melody from Savior Complex, Phoebe's song off Punisher. She throws a nod to Lucy's Salt in the Wound from the Boy Genius EP. When she sings Salt in My Lungs, it's something like a humorous story where julian almost drowned she says she says that's too dramatic to say but she really did have struggle swimming through the tide at the Mm. beach in malibu while they were recording this album she turns this into this epic i could have died but i'm fine (laughs) it's like that screaming moment and that whole song i could listen to on repeat it's
0: so amazing and we mentioned not strong enough but that's also one of the best songs on the record Finally, a female artist referenced, uh, Cheryl Crow, yeah. and it's another one of those great turnarounds where they go, not strong enough to be your man, I lied, I am, just lowering your expectations, which is so great.
1: That's a Phoebe line. The chorus is a Phoebe line that she's had in her pocket for years, just waiting for the right time. She used to joke about it to the boys, like, how funny is this? Not strong enough to be your man, because that's her humor of, I love Cheryl Crow, and also it's funny as fuck to be like, I'm not strong enough to be with you yet I'm so deep and misunderstood. There's all this, it's wrapped up in so many inside jokes, all of these songs and not strong enough. I'm sorry. That's the best song on the album. It's the best.
0: There's also, again, references upon references that there's a reference to a Cure song. Boys Don't Cry in the middle of the thing. I also love how they trade off vocals on this song. There's something really satisfying about that. And I do think other supergroups don't do that as much
1: you can, Phoebe and Julian wrote each other's verses for that song, which you can tell because to mention Boys Don't Cry is a very Phoebe thing to do, even though Julian's singing it. Yeah, it's like this country pop masterpiece. And they put me on the spot right when I met up with them and they said, what's your favorite song on the album? And I really freaked out. And then I was honest and I was like, I like Not Strong Enough. And They were very impressed and said that's their most collaborative effort. And that it features all three of them and they liked it too.
0: Boy, that was actually the safest answer, it turns out. <laughs>
1: yeah, I didn't know. I was like totally yeah. being honest. That was the first. I had been listening to that album since October. We met up in November and I love it so much. I really think that song is their strongest, not just because they're all three on it, not just because of Cheryl Crow, but it's it really summarizes everything that's great about them and I'm not strong enough to be your man it's a very boy genius thing to say
0: yes and then to say I'm just kidding I am is <laughs> <laughs> the uh, that is interesting so this is a case where it's a chorus that Phoebe had but then they finished writing it together
1: She had been playing around, she had that in her pocket for years, just waiting for the right time. It was almost like a joke to her in her classic, like, sardonic humor to be like, how sick is this? Not strong enough to be your man. And the boys are like, yeah, let's do that sometime. And they wrote verses to it. And it just... It's such a great, I really think it's the highlight on the album and it really showcases what they do best.
0: And Revolution Zero, when Phoebe talks about imaginary friend, you live up in my head. So I've been making music since you told me to do it.
1: I got too eager during our lunch and I said... Is that Elliot Smith? Because I assumed that it's someone who's not a rat. Well, I
0: just want to know who broke your nose. Figure out where they live so I can kick their teeth in. Yeah, that sure does sound like Elliot Smith, because someone sure broke his nose.
1: That's what I thought, too. And especially being in L.A. And she said that it was about falling in love on the Internet. So I felt really dumb and... She said she loves hearing different interpretations of her songs, but it's about being in the pandemic and who we can assume is Paul Mescal, who she dated. And they had a flirtatious exchange over the internet at the height of the pandemic and then dated.
0: I don't see another interpretation of that because someone she just met on the internet didn't tell her to make music. thing
1: that <laughs> I do think is, Paul, yeah. is perhaps you wanted a song, so it's going to be a short one. The rest, you're right. Like, it's very cryptic and it's hard to tell, but it's a really... This song could have been on Punisher. It's very sparse. It's very Phoebe. Julian and Lucy take the back seat here, and it's just, I think, Revolution Zero and Letter to an Old Poet. Are Phoebe's best contributions?
0: It's so obvious, and I didn't listen carefully enough. Of course, that first verse is about Elliot Smith. I literally don't care what she says. It's hard to exaggerate the extent to which she's absolutely obsessed with Elliot Smith. It's like
1: the title track Punisher is about literally going to a bar where he used to go. It's like... Yes.
0: Yeah. No, we talked about, we talked a ton about Elliot Smith. So, yes, that verse is. about Elliot Smith and kind of creepy, like imagining that the ghost of Elliot Smith is sitting on her shoulder telling her to write songs. So no wonder she didn't want to talk about it. She's
1: no, of course not. Why would you ask?
0: And it is actually, I've always wondered that who broke Elliot Smith's nose or what was going on there. So another big Phoebe moment on the album and another great song is Emily, I'm Sorry. What did they have to say about that one?
1: So Emily Bannon is an old friend of Phoebe's. They were very close. They were rumored to be in a relationship. That is the song that really kicked off the record. Phoebe sent that demo to Lucy and Julian and said, can we be a band again? And they were overly excited. Obviously, I had mentioned that they all were thinking it secretly. And Emily, I'm sorry, was the catalyst to this whole album. So I think it's really important for that reason. And it's a classic Phoebe song of... When I pointed out where the North Star is, she called me a fucking liar, et cetera. And it is about her former friend, Emily Bannon. Phoebe sent this demo during the pandemic to Lucy and Julian and just said, Can we be a band again? Initiating the conversation to do this album, which they were all secretly thinking about without admitting to each other.
0: It's really funny. It's one of those things where, as you write in the story, journalists, including me, including you, were constantly asking them. It's the natural thing that if you're interviewing any of them, hey, you're going to do another Boy Genius song or album. And the weird thing is, I think for journalists, they probably thought it was more of a fun side project, even when they were asking the question, than something so core to them. But obviously, every time they were asked, it was something they secretly wanted to do, but maybe weren't discussing with each other, which is really weird.
1: I think to them, it's... A real band and also side project at the same time, meaning when they are working on this record, doing this promotion, shopping for a label for this album, they are absolutely 100% a real band. And I think in interviews during like Punisher or Little Oblivions, or I think to them they regard it as a side project, and it's easy to see it like that. Phoebe has Better Oblivion Community Center with Connor. So it's not the craziest idea to think that was maybe a one-off EP.
0: And there's there's one of the sort of core lines of the album is on Emily, I'm sorry, which is I'm 27 and I don't know who I am.
1: Yeah, Phoebe had written that and revisited it years later and still felt the same way. She wrote the song when she was 25. Yeah, I think that really also is a classic Phoebe line of admitting And apologizing tenderly and then saying, I don't really know what I'm doing. I I don't even think ahead most of the time. (laughs) I've asked her if she had talked to Emily or if Emily had heard the song and she said no. And then doubled or she backed out later towards the end of the reporting process and said, I never said that it was about Emily, (laughs) even though she did. So I was like, "Okay."
0: I think one of the things that underscores Phoebe's sort of slipperiness as an artist, which is the case for a lot of artists, is... She at one point even tried to say that Emily, I'm sorry, is not about her well known friendship with someone named Emily, which is a really funny thing to try to claim.
1: It's funny, and she'll often talk about how she wants to leave fans open to interpretation and she doesn't want to get anyone in trouble or send anybody after another person. So I understand that, but come on, it's pretty direct.
0: Change the name if you're going to say it's not about that person. It's like. There's someone in her know. band
1: named Emily, and people have brought that up, and it has nothing to do with this situation at all.
0: Another great track is a really Lucy track, We're in Love. I think it's like track 10.
1: Absolutely. Break my heart. Yeah, and that's Lucy's song that she wrote for her bandmates. And everyone was like crying in the room when they recorded it. Catherine Marks, the producer, had told me that. It was a very emotional situation, but it's really sad almost. It's maudlin. And Julian at first was like, I don't want that on the record. They're collaborative process is so true and real that they will tell each other directly like I like this I don't like that I would prefer this here's the song that I feel strongly about they're very open with each other and Julian did not want this on the album and Lucy had to explain like it's about us hummingbirds are a huge theme with them they're like a symbol for the band and once Julian like really listened to it she felt terrible and was like I'm sorry like the song's amazing and even like I'll be the boy with the pink carnation pinned to my lapel which is Lucy basically talking about reading their tarot cards and telling them that their past lives. The Pink Carnation is another Elliot Smith thing where Phoebe had said there was like an award show. She thought it was the Grammys where Elliot Smith wore a Pink Carnation on his suit. I couldn't find that information. Was it the it, Oscars? The,
0: was it when he sang at the Oscars?
1: I don't know. I had I a really hard time. I, it's not in the story because I couldn't prove it.
0: He wore a suit at the Oscars. I wonder if she projected the pink carnation onto the suit.
1: Maybe she did. And I think the most important part is I love that song. And I at first had the same reaction of like, this is really depressing. Stephen Hayden in his Up Rocks review noted that Lucy singing, damn, that makes me sad is like almost way too meta and just doesn't work. <laughs> But I've heard that song so many times I've cried listening to it, not even knowing why I don't have any relation to this at all. But when she sings, if you rewrite your life, may I still play a part? It really represents all three of them and their obsession with astrology and tarot cards and past lives and their bond. We still want to be in each other's lives, even if you change or even if you're someone else.
0: Yeah, I'll see you in the next life. It's a way of saying that basically when you're when she's reincarnated as a boy with a pink carnation. And I'm going to go with that, by the way, which is that's the one time he wore a suit on TV in an award show because it's not like he was constantly on TV at award shows.
1: Which was Lucy saying, by the way, she told me this and said, please fact check that. So it's like, you got it.
0: Now I feel bad about the Leonard Cohen thing. She might actually feel bad when she realized she, that she got the facts wrong on that. I Lucy, it's okay. Lucy, so. it's okay. Poetic license. <laughs> <laughs> you two got the moment of the time of Martin Luther King Jr.'s death wrong in it. One of the most famous songs of all time. So it's okay. It's okay. Really great album. It's going to be a really great tour. My general stance when people say lately is when people talk, is rock dead? What's the commercial status of rock? Is that weirdly, guitar music and music that sounds like rock is doing just fine. And I think I've said this a million times, but just look at as it was and look at Olivia Rodrigo. You're talking about number one pop hits that are rock songs. They're just not by rock bands. What music is missing is bands as far as rock and maybe in general and so here we have a band and i think that's pretty cool too actually another under underrated aspect of this
1: it's hard to remember the last time everyone everyone being especially on like social media and boy genius fans it's hard to remember a time where we were this excited about a band's album truthfully
0: your story your story in the cover blew up the internet it's about how much people love these three artists And again, how exciting it is for people to come together and pull their talents. And so it's a reminder that the band in some form is still a viable thing. Again, if I'm going to get super technical about it, I would consider it a super group or a group more than a band. The same way I never really thought of Crosby, Stills & Nash as a band, per se. We need groups. We need bands. And they're a really great one. And it's exciting to have them.
1: It's been questioned, like, how close are these people how much do they really like each other and i can say that being around them like they are genuinely best friends making music together and i think that's also why the fans love it so much it's a really exciting day to have this album out it just surprised people and it's it's definitely one of the best records of the year
0: yeah even in even here in april i think we can say that for sure all right boy genius angie thanks so much for joining me thanks brian and that's our show we'll be back next week in the meantime subscribe to rolling stone music now wherever you get your podcasts and please leave us five stars and a nice review on apple podcasts and spotify because that's always appreciated but as always thanks for listening and we will see you next week